Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here as usual to answer questions you might have about your meditation practice, your practice of the Buddhist teaching, and your application of the Buddhist teaching in your daily life. The idea uh, behind the session, the sort of general understanding we have for asking questions, what sort of questions are appropriate, is that this is a good, happy medium between the study of the Buddhist teaching and the practice of the Buddhist teaching. So this morning we had our study group where we talk about uh, the actual theory and actual teachings of the Buddha. People ask questions about them, and we discuss theory and so on. And then on the other hand, we have uh, the at-home meditation course, and we have intensive meditation courses here at our center. But this session is for sort of a bridging of the two. How do you apply the theory in practice? So ideally, you're coming to us as a practitioner of the Buddhist teachings and Buddhist meditation and that the questions you ask will be not just theoretical or intellectual, but rather important to you and related to your struggles and your challenges and your application of the Buddha's teaching in your life. So welcome to post questions in the chat at any time. First 15 minutes will be a sort of uh, buffer period, an opportunity for our volunteers to collect the questions and prepare them to be asked and answered. And it's also an opportunity for everyone to do a little bit of community meditation to clear the mind and prepare the mind, settle the mind, and ready yourself to appreciate the discussion on the Buddhist teaching. So I will be back at 15 minutes after the hour to begin answering questions.
All right, that's 15 minutes. So from here on, we'd ask that the chat be reserved for questions only. If you have any questions that you haven't asked, you can ask them anytime. But we'll begin answering questions now. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. In my practice, I am catching the moment and being aware of the state of my mind, which allows my mind to recall past events or what might happen in the future, a concept of things that haven't happened yet. It seems to me that I am trying to capture the raw moments of the mind that are rooted in the past, future, or even the present. If acknowledging our raw experience through memory is a part of our practice, then why grasping of a concept is not accepted in the same way? Yeah, well, acknowledging raw experience through memory is not a part of our practice. That's where you've gone wrong. You can't acknowledge raw experience through memory. Memory is, uh, well, okay, maybe I get what you're saying. Um, so suppose a memory arises and it's a memory, right? It's a memory where you see something and then there you can say to yourself, seeing, seeing. So you might, I guess maybe where you're coming from is you have the idea that that experience of seeing is somehow fundamentally different from, say, seeing with your eyes open, and it's not. So the, 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 the reality there is that the memory, which is a thought happening in the present moment, uh, triggers another experience which also occurs in the present moment, which is a vision experience which we would identify normally as being a past experience, but it's not a past experience, it's a present experience. So it happens in the present moment. That's all momentary experiences. The memory is an experience, the, the seeing is an experience, and it's all in the present moment. It doesn't have anything, there's nothing special about the fact that it's happened as a result of memory. So that has really no relationship to why grasping of a concept would be accepted there's no relationship there concepts don't work because they're not actually experience you, you can't uh, i don't know even what it means to grasp of a con grasping of a concept but a concept isn't something you can note except maybe as a thought or something concept when you're when you're when you're perceiving concepts you're not aware of experience you're not in touch with reality that's why it doesn't work So like you can't recall past events or even um, experience future events. It's all happening in the present moment. You just identify it with the past or the future. That's just uh, an extrapolation. The reality is just the experience in the present moment. I have been advised by my psychiatrist and an energy healer to stop meditating as I have been going through a psychotic episode. Would you also recommend that I stop until I am better? 
Well, mindfulness isn't really something you could do during a psychotic episode, so just be clear what you mean about meditation. If you mean sitting and closing your eyes or walking back and forth, that's not exactly meditation. Um, so when when I talk about meditation, it's only one specific, very specific type of meditation, and that's mindfulness practice in this tradition. So um, during times of mental, let's say mental upset or mental illness, um, the, the danger is that you might uh, distort the, the instructions. And so that's what you have to judge, whether you're able to understand and implement the instructions as given, because they're not hard to understand and they're not hard to implement. But it's also not hard for someone who has a distorted uh, outlook to distort the practice, to to um, make things more complicated. For example, noting things you want to happen, like if you want to be happy, saying to yourself, happy, happy, that would be very wrong. Noting concepts like names of people or God or something, that's not precisely wrong as a meditation, it's just not mindfulness, and it's it's potentially dangerous, especially for people with mental illness, because concepts are infinitely malleable. They can change, and they can they can uh, morph and uh, mutate. But reality can't you, you can't be mutated by the observer. Reality is what it is. So seeing is seeing, hearing is hearing, and if you note seeing, seeing or hearing, you're pain, pain, thinking, thinking, liking, disliking, according to the teachings. If you stick to those real things, you can't really go wrong. And there's really no time where that would be unadvisable. The only time it shouldn't be practiced, or you know, the only time you wouldn't practice it is when you couldn't, when you're in such a psychotic state that you're not able to. It's not likely that if you're in a true psychotic state that you'd have any capacity to be mindful during it. That's kind of what the it's it's in the definition of what I understand those states to be. So, I mean, I guess I guess you might label different things psychotic episodes, but if it's just uh, paranoia or something like schizophrenic uh, paranoia or something, then I, I think you really, if you understood the practice, you could really use it to remind yourself that those are just hallucinations. You could note the paranoia, fear, and that sort of thing if you're able to do it. So it's just a question of that. What state are you in? Are you able to apply the practice? There's no way that it could be dangerous if you're doing it correctly. You just have to make sure you're doing it correctly. And it's not complicated or mysterious. It's just to make sure you're not distorting it or modifying it or changing it in any way. I feel demotivated regarding mindfulness practice. If we have been wandering samsara infinitely in the past, then if nibbana is possible, logically we would have already reached it. Can you clarify? Well, it's not really, um, not really of much concern whether Nibbana exists or not. You don't have to, you shouldn't really start there and use that as your only motivation. 
If you feel demotivated, that's just a sign that you have unwholesome states of mind. You get demotivated about things. Um, I mean, that's not quite fair because the word demotivated can mean different things. If you're just losing interest and feeling and getting a sense that you know, mindfulness is pointless, again, the point is that the existence of Nibbana shouldn't be the motivation. Mindfulness is beneficial in so many ways and on a very real and present level that has nothing directly to do with the existence of Nibbana or the non-existence of Nibbana. And the thing about Nibbana is it's the last step in the in the sequence. Another thing I might, or so, just to complete that thought, so um, you should see the, the potential of Nibbana in the very first stages of benefit. As you start to benefit, it leads you towards Nibbana. It's like seeing a glimpse, and the, the more you practice, the more clear the idea of Nibbana comes to you. So it's no, to no surprise to someone who attains Nibbana that it exists because they've already come very close to it. Um, but, but the other thing is that um, logic is a pretty poor way to investigate reality. Uh, scientists don't use logic to, re to investigate reality, material scientists, and we shouldn't either. Logic is Logic only works in... Uh, I don't know uh, mathematics, uh, where where you're using very specific sets of of experience, uh, sets of of ideas, concepts that are very rigid and easily defined um, natures. It's the only time where logic really works. The scientists don't lo say logically, therefore it is true. They they go by observation, and so should you. Uh, if you observe that the practice is useless and not helping you, well, that would be that would be surprising, or that it would it would be a source of great skepticism for anyone who's actually put it into practice. Um, but but as I said in the beginning, it's possible that your demotivation is uh, the problem and should be taken as an object of mindfulness. There can be skepticism and doubt as well, but those can be just habits, and those can be the kind of things you take as an object as well. And you'll find if you do take those things as objects, probably or quite likely that uh, you you benefit and you are your doubt is assuaged. You you become more motivated because they bring that that act of taking them as an object should bring peace and clarity and happiness. How does one progress from a Sotapanna to Arahant? Do you continue the practice where you see Nirvana more and more, and the sight of Nirvana destroys defilements? Yeah, basically. I mean, the Nirvana is can be a bit misleading. It's it's not wrong, but just be clear that it's not a place that you see. It's not like something you say, oh, look, there's Nibbana or something. Um, it's a bit more... Uh, a bit harder to understand than that, but it's fine. I mean, I'm not criticizing. It's just just a reminder that yes, that's true. But like when you say the sight of nibbana nirvana, 
yeah, fine, that's fine. Just be clear that it's not actually vision with the eyes or even uh, experience as an arisen experience, right? Nibbana is cessation. So we'd probably more likely like to say experience nirvana more and more, and the experience of nirvana destroys defilements. That's a little bit uh, less problematic. Not that there's really anything wrong with what you say. That's basically true. What is the best way to weed the subtlest distraction? Well, subtle or coarse is not really uh, any of any importance. Whether it's subtle or coarse, the best way is with mindfulness. But uh, another thing to note is you're not really trying to weed the distractions. You're trying to see the distractions clearly. When you see them clearly, they're no longer distractions. They're just experiences. Distractions become distractions, and you become distracted when you are not mindful, when you are caught up by experiences. So whether subtle or coarse, mindfulness is the way. After meditation, I feel detached from people, as if they should figure it out, and it's not up to me. I used to tell them, I do see their pain. So why do I not feel guilty about it anymore? Is it normal? We're not concerned with normal, so we're concerned with being mindful of your state. If it feels strange and unexpected, or or even if you're concerned about it, all those things you should note. But things being strange or, or new are a sign of impermanence. And when it's it's very valuable to see how the mind can change, shift from one state to another. So it's not something to be attached to or afraid of or concerned by. Um, the sort of thing you you describe is um, generally in a basic way related to wisdom. Be, be not not clinging, not worrying, not being attached to outcomes. Um, though I would say that it is possible for people to become uh, un uncaring. I don't know what the right word is, but where where you uh, you become lazy and. Uh, rejecting of of others and it can be based on a subtle aversion that you uh, or 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 it can be based on a subtle pride that you develop arrogance you know arrogance aversion because you're averse to being put out by having to help people so on on the one hand it's it's wisdom to understand that you can't change other people's lives for them um, but it can be cruelty, uh, laziness, and delusion, or arrogance, or conceit, or all these things, to um, deny them help when they ask for it. So yeah, it's not up to you, but if they come to you, 
then it's up to you to respond appropriately with kindness, with thoughtfulness, with clarity of mind. And clarity is not the same as uh, just ignoring your experiences. Clarity is uh, is engaged and is facing the experience and acting and reacting appropriately. Mindfulness should teach you how to act and react appropriately and it should be quite simple what you should do. And it's not always that you do nothing or that you ignore people's requests or that sort of thing. That's all, the only, the only caution I would advise. But again, uh, we're not concerned with whether states are normal or abnormal. Reality is full of abnormalities and changes and unpredictable ability. So just try and roll with the punches and be mindful of the way it is. How to use meditation as a way to overcome judgments and opinions of others. Well, again, mindfulness is about facing. So you don't have to concern yourself too much about overcoming anything. The overcoming happens by itself. The more mindful you are, the less judgmental in the uh, judgments of others. Um, so the less reactionary you are about their judgments. Um, so when you say overcome in this sense of overcome other people's judgments, other people's opinions, um, you're actually not talking about those judgments or opinions at all. You're talking about your reaction to them, your dislike of them. Right, because there's two ways to interpret what you're saying now that I understand it correctly. The first is that prevent those judgments and opinions from being experienced by you, right? How do I prevent people from being judgment? But that, I don't think that's what you're saying, obviously. The other way to interpret it is how do I overcome my, how do I not be upset and um, disturbed by people's judgments and opinions? And so it's those judgments and disturbances that you should really be talking about and focusing on. Don't not it's not a matter of judgments and opinions. And this is how you do it: is you focus on the actual experiences and your reactions. More importantly, your reactions to the experiences. So the experience of someone's judgment and opinion is just sound. It's just words, and it's just processing going on in the brain. The reactions are where the real problem is when you dislike or you're upset or you're arrogant or conceited or so on, or afraid or worried or feeling guilty or so on. Angry, you can be very angry when people judge, judge you and express their opinions that you disagree with and so on. So that's what you should be trying to overcome. But even overcoming those is about facing them. You face your reactions, you face your anger, you face your conceit and your fear and your worry and all those things. And so how do you do that? Well, we have a booklet on how to meditate. Maybe you've already read it. We have an at-home meditation course if you're interested in getting a basic foundation in this practice. And then we have intensive courses at our center. That's what we're that's the bridge that we're offering. So if you're interested in answers to these questions, then the real answers come from your own practice. I find it very difficult to quiet my mind 
Yet I can go into a trance that is no mind, and then I find magic happens, like hearing other people's minds. So how can no mind be awareness? Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're practicing according to our tradition, so I don't have much to say. I would recommend that you read our booklet if you're interested in my answers to your questions, then you have to phrase them based on practice of our tradition, um, which of course is not trying to quiet the mind, not trying to go into a trance. Um, but I will point out to you some things that come from our tradition, some ideas. One is that... Um, No mind is just a concept. Mind or no mind is not a thing that exists. This is just an, a, your perception of it. You perceive it as no mind. Um, and the reality is there is experience. So hearing is an experience or thinking is an experience. And you call it magic, but it's just experiences. Hearing other people's minds is hearing. So, I mean, I, I, honestly, it sounds like you're having a quite a valid samatha meditation practice. It's just well, we don't practice samatha. That's not what we're into here. And quieting the mind isn't the practice either. Trying to face experience, that's the practice of mindfulness. Uh, but um, But to your actual question, again, no mind is just a concept. It's not real. Awareness is awareness. It's a part of experience. Experience occurs because there's awareness of an object. That's all there is. So, I mean, it's nothing to do with this idea of no mind. That's just your perception or your label of it. Your perspective on it is, oh, this is no mind. It's just an idea. Reality is what it is, and it's awareness. I put off practice by studying and thinking I need to know a little more first, even though I know that properly I already know enough. Any advice? Well, you may be putting off practice for other reasons as well. Maybe because it's, it's hard, <laughs> harder than studying. It may be because studying fulfills some uh, basic uh, desire in the brain, for desire for knowledge, the craving for uh, intellectual understanding and intellectual edification because it, so it can be laziness it can be aversion towards the unpleasant experiences of meditation practice i would say there's probably more going on than that if you're putting off practicing it's not you don't put off practice by studying and thinking you prefer one over the other and that's just preference those are the kind of things you can be mindful of so that's what I would recommend is focusing on your present states of mind and applying mindfulness to these things you're describing to try and see what's really going on and where there's craving for studying and aversion towards practicing and just a general laziness to actually doing work. You can also, there's another thing that can help with that is... Uh, some kind of uh, reflection on 
the impermanence of life and the imminence of death and that you're going to have, you're going to get old sick and die if you don't do something soon it might be too late because you don't know when you're going to die those kind of th- things you can reflect on the buddha and how great he was and what he did to become so great that sort of thing how great the dhamma is recollection of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, these can help. Is the knowledge in terms of the practice from the at-home course enough for long-term practice? Do you add more changes to the technique as you progress through an intensive course? Yes, the intensive course adds something that we don't get into in the uh, in the atom course. So the atom course is to some extent more about the theory and the technique and the in-depth experiences and realizations are more likely to be gotten from the intensive course. Yesterday and this morning, I manifested by combining imagination with self-love. Later today, the same book which taught me manifestation this way reminded me of something the book said, talking about manifestation by the masters, all from the earnest belief. Could I get some guidance on which way is the optimal? Again, this has nothing to do with what we practice or teach, so the link to our booklet is at the bottom of the screen. And it's very different from what it sounds like you're practicing. So either you're in the wrong place or you're reading the wrong book. So if you want to read the book that we offer, it's there. It's not long. It's pretty practical, I think. And if you read it and find that you're interested in those practices and that way of looking at reality and that way of approaching reality, then we can talk. We also have an at-home meditation course you could take and a intensive course as well, which you'd best do after the at-home course. And that would give you quite a different perspective on reality than the way you are approaching it through these other books. So you're going to have to probably decide which way to go. Sariputta once said, I do not yearn for life, I do not yearn for death, but like a worker awaits his wage, I wait. What is Sariputta looking forward to, and why not fast track to this destination? Because he has no desire. He does not yearn for death or life. He's just living. He's got nothing left. not looking forward to anything. Does ultimate reality imply that we are never going anywhere? There are not any people. Like everything we perceive is like virtual reality glasses? No, it's not virtual reality glasses. It's um, just our interpretations of them are wrong so like hinduism has this idea that 
this reality is all just illusion. It doesn't actually exist. But Buddhism doesn't quite say it like that. All of this exists, but its existence is a bit different than what we think. It exists as experiences. So it doesn't have the... Um, doesn't have the the word solidity or the doesn't have the concreteness that we think it does like there's not people and places and things and there's not really a three-dimensional reality experience is the building blocks of reality that's ultimate reality but its experiences of all these things it doesn't change it just changes the way we look at things like seeing is just seeing hearing is just hearing feel i am attached to meditative states pleasure and i cannot stand not being mindful in fact, I do feel like my practices are not correct. Any advice? Well, you should note those things. If you're attached to meditative states pleasure, you just note liking, liking. And if you cannot stand not being mindful, you should note that as well. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not quite sure how that relates to feeling like your practices are not correct. I guess because you're concerned about these things, but yeah, no, your practice probably isn't correct if you're attached to pleasure. That's not mindfulness. Or, you know, you have to be mindful of those things as well. And it can just be a sign that you're still somewhat unskilled and still full of desire, which is normal. It's not, it's not something to, it's not unexpected. I mean, it's not easy to become free from attachment of any kind. So just note the liking, the wanting, the aversion, the disliking, and so on. So it's not the practice per se that's not correct. It's your remaining defilements that are not correct. And, well, you just face them and see them as they are, and they'll go away. We've asked every question before us today okay so maybe we're at the point where we've answered all the questions and people have no more questions or it could just be summer and people are out away from their computers or it could be that people are no longer interested in, in buddhism or meditation practice uh, whatever it is thank you all who have come today and for those of you who may become regularly and so you don't have any more questions um, if you have questions that you didn't ask you can always ask them again next week uh, have a good week everyone thank you chris and edit for your help and i wish you all peace happiness and freedom from suffering sadhu, sadhu.